Good afternoon. If you have your Bible, you can be turning to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, and we'll get there in just a moment. Appreciate Don leading that song. And I also want to say I appreciate the kind comments about the lesson this morning. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, one thing I forgot to say this morning was uh, I mentioned that was uh, a lesson of my father-in-law's. I didn't m- mean to mention that if you know Freddie, that my version is probably going to have a few less double negatives and y'alls and ain'ts than his does. Um, but, uh, you know, I appreciate so much being blessed, not only with a, a good wife, but also with good in-laws, even though we always make in-law jokes. Good in-laws and a good father-in-law that, that uh, has always put together good lessons and uh, appreciate being able to use that and share that with you. Uh, I also want to say one other thing before we begin. I, I don't want any, any rumors going around. Uh, we've joked a lot since we've started with three services about everybody getting tired and full and warm and falling asleep. I did give out a pass this afternoon for someone to fall asleep that it was okay by me. So I don't want anybody to get offended that it wasn't you. But if anybody deserved it, I think it was Catherine Isom. And she told me, I told her, I said, I know you're, you're going to be ready for a nap when you get home. And she said, well... Sue told me, you know, Mother, I don't think you need to go for all three. And she said, she told Sue, no, I'm, I'm going to go for all three if I'm going. And she said, I'm going to tell Joel, though, if I get tired, I'm just going to fall right over on the pew and take a nap. And I said, that is okay. That is fine by me. So if you see her now and in a minute she's gone, that may be where she is, is laid over, taking, closing her eyes for a minute. But uh, uh, we appreciate her being with us and so many that have been back with us again. And we're just thankful for the opportunity that we've had to encourage ourselves today. As I mentioned to you this morning with our lesson, the book of Ezekiel is, is a bit of uh, maybe one that you've not studied a lot before. Uh, I had a preacher friend ask me yesterday what I was preaching on, and I mentioned the book of the month and Ezekiel, and he's like, well, that's really interesting. And I said, yeah, it's really hard to cover you know, a whole book in about 30 minutes or less, but we, we do our best to touch on some of the highlights. I know you may not be able to make out the entire bookshelf here. I found this just as an image, of course, online, uh, but we have worked our way through pretty much the top shelf which was the law, the history, and poetry, and now we're in the green books on the middle shelf on the left-hand side as you look at it, which is the major prophets. And we talked about the five books, but really four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then we're going to talk about Ezekiel today and God be willing, Daniel. Uh, Next month, of course, Lamentations is thrown in there. Uh, If you remember your Bible history, I, I thought maybe I should include a slide in the future. We know about the law. We know about Genesis. We know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the things that took place there. We've actually worked our way up to Joshua and Judges the last few weeks. We talked about Joshua, of course, for a whole month, and then this morning we began in the book of Judges. And then with, after the period of the Judges, then came the period of the Kings. And we even touched on that with King Amaziah this morning. If you think about the Kings, there were, of course, during that time there was the United Kingdom, where all of Israel was together in one kingdom, but at a point, they were separated into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. That's what we talked about this morning with Amaziah. Amaziah was over the southern kingdom, and then there was someone else at the time over the northern kingdom. And during all that, the children of Israel continued to struggle with faithfulness. They continued to sort of, I mean, even as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, intermingle with the people. We talked about being separate. If you remember that lesson from a few Sunday mornings ago, uh, being separate from the world. Yes, we have to live among the world, and we should, even as we said this morning, uh, reach out to people and try to teach them the gospel and help them realize their lost condition when they're separated from God and, of course, separated from the blood of Christ. Uh, but even as we kind of you know think about that, uh, there is a time here where there were kingdoms, uh, there, these two kingdoms, and the children of Israel struggled with that faithfulness. And so uh, they're going to be punished for that. 
they, they needed to be told they were wrong. They continued to do wrong. They were mingling with these people and their idols, and so they're wrong, and they're going to be punished. Ezekiel ministers during the darkest days of the southern kingdom of Judah's history because it's during those 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Now, we did talk about an overview of the Bible. Boy, that's been several years ago now uh, on a Wednesday night class. But during that time of captivity, there is a lot that is going on. And that's when Ezekiel is trying to minister to the people. They're, they're captive. They're not enjoying their homeland anymore, but they are captive to Babylon. When we think about the book of Ezekiel, if you can remember one event, you can kind of remember the book of Ezekiel. And that is the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, that's a phrase that you hear mentioned a lot. I, if I remember correctly, I think there were at least three, maybe three major destructions of Jerusalem. One that we kind of refer to from time to time is A.D. 70. We talk about that. That's going to be a New Testament thing. That's going to be, you know, a little closer to, of course, when we live now, uh, A.D. 70. This was a, another time that it was destroyed. And this is kind of the key to Ezekiel. I did not give you an outline in your notes, but if you'd like to jot down, you could just possibly jot down the chapter numbers. There's really three major sections. Number one is chapters 1 through 24, and that is prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. Chapters 1 through 24. In this first section, Ezekiel is a preacher of judgment. He is telling the people that Jerusalem will fall. That Jerusalem is going to fall. Now, just like once again, today, making the connection to our world, there are false prophets, and those false prophets are saying, no, that's not going to happen. We have the temple of the Lord. I don't know if you remember all the way back to Jeremiah last or two months ago now in February when we talked about Jeremiah, but there's one particular phrase. They say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They're saying, we have God's temple, so we have nothing to fear. It's not fallen. But Ezekiel, in this first section, prior to the destruction, is telling them that it's going to happen. The second section is chapters 25 through 32. 25 through 32, which talks about the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem. So we've got prior, then at the actual destruction. And during that, that group, those chapters, he prophesies against the nations round about them, Philistia, Tyre, and Babylon. He prophesies against them, and that middle section is the destruction. Then the third and final section is chapters 33 through 48. 33 through 48, and so as you can probably tell, we've got prior, during, and the third section is after, after the destruction of Jerusalem. And during this third section, he is a preacher of comfort. His commission to prophesy is sort of renewed. Uh, and of course, this includes chapters 40 through 48, which is a vision he has of the temple rebuilt. Now, I want to mention that because if you've watched any television lately and you ever catch some of these preachers on Sunday morning on the TV, a lot of times you'll hear chapters 40 through 48 of Ezekiel commonly turned into an end-time kind of prophecy. You'll hear these preachers talk about China and they'll talk about Russia and they'll talk about all these things and say re reference to Ezekiel 40 through 48 as an end-time prophecy. Uh, but it is simply a vision of the temple rebuilt. They once were a great nation. They've been carried away into captivity. And now they're going to be returned. They're going to be able to return to the homeland. And that's what the vision is here. It's not a vision about end times per se. But it is about God's nation. Bringing them into one under the true shepherd who is Jesus. That's what it's talking about here. 
The human author is Ezekiel. I did not include this in your outline, but we go over this almost each month. Human emphasizing that, of course, the divine author is the Holy Spirit guiding these men to write. But it is Ezekiel. Ezekiel served as both a priest and a prophet. Now, when the people are carried away into captivity, all right, they're carried away into Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel goes away during the second carrying away. There were three. Ezekiel's in the second. Do you remember who was in the first? Daniel was in the first. Ezekiel was in the second. And then there was even a third. If you've opened your Bible to Ezekiel, you see in chapter 1 and verse number 1 that he lived with the exiles. He lived with them by the river Kibar, which was probably more like a canal, if you will, a canal off the Euphrates. If you think about a city, the city of Babylon, and then there's this canal sort of offshooting from the city. They were refugees. They were exiles living there by the river Kibar. A couple of things to note about him that we might... I don't want to say guess, that's the first word that came to my mind there off the top of my head, but we might kind of surmise by what we know. In chapter 8 and verse number 1, one of the things we might kind of surmise from him is that he was influential. Chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, the book says, And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me. Also in chapter 14 and verse number 1, Now... Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. So it's highly possible that Ezekiel was influential. The elders are coming to him to hear things from him. It's also possible, we might say secondly, that he even knew Daniel. You know, it's real easy, I think, and especially sometimes when you hear these preachers on TV, I don't, maybe they're easy targets to hit, but, you know, it's just, you hear these books separated and you don't ever think about any overlap. But in chapter 14, in verse 14... Chapter 14 and verse 14, Ezekiel says, Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. And if you turn there to chapter 14, it's also in verse number 20. He says it again, Noah, Daniel, and Job. Now, he didn't live with Noah, he didn't live with Job, but he knew their names, and he also knew Daniel's name. So it's possible that they uh, knew each other. It's very often with the prophets that the people didn't listen, right? I mean, they're speaking. We talk about people today not listening to preachers, not listening to sermons and things, and just kind of, you know, plugging their ears, not paying any attention. Very often with prophets, the people didn't listen. But we might say that Ezekiel was one of the more successful prophets because in the end, the people did return back to God and they did return home. So you might note that as well. It's very interesting that he might have been one of the more successful prophets. And during this time, one of the reasons that the people returned home, that they listened and returned back to God and returned home, was God had his people covered from every point of view or every point in the world in the sense where they were at that time. Do you remember we talked about Jeremiah? Jeremiah prophesied in the homeland. He was there in Jerusalem. Ezekiel Ezekiel's among the exiles, sort of on the outside of the city. And who's the third contemporary? Daniel. And where's Daniel? But he's in the city. He's among the king's court. So no matter where you were, if you were uh, a part of the children of Israel, whether you were in the homeland or in exile or whether you were in the king's court like Daniel and some of his friends, God made sure that you could hear the word of the Lord. They couldn't say 
The children of Israel couldn't say, well, you know, God didn't tell us that. Uh, God didn't let us know what he wanted us to do. He made sure that it was communicated. And I think sometimes we don't see this overlap, but take comfort knowing Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, of course, they all are kind of right here together in our Bible, our English Bible. But yes, God made sure the children of Israel knew what he wanted. Ezekiel had two tasks, as we kind of try to summarize the book a little bit more here. Uh, prior to the fall, he had to combat undue optimism. You know, he had to try to speak to the people who were saying, No, you know, Ezekiel, we hear you, but those things aren't going to happen. Uh, you know, it, it can be hard, but, but let's make it easy. They, they might say, oh, the captivity won't be long. Even though Jeremiah is saying 70 years, 70 years, they're saying, oh, it won't be too long. Jerusalem won't fall. The temple is there. Again, the temple of the Lord. It's not going to happen. But Ezekiel says, you know what? You shouldn't be so bold. You've got too much optimism. You're acting like it's nothing go nothing's going wrong and you've got nothing to worry about. So before the fall, he's preaching to them this warning about undue optimism. But we might say his second task is that after the fall, he had to combat undue pessimism. Because here we turn around and it's the complete opposite. I mean, think about how their world was changed with this destruction. They go from having this great moment where they're not worried about anything, not a big deal, to the destruction of Jerusalem, the homeland, and now they're going, whoa, wait a minute, now the world's coming to an end. And, excuse me, and we've got this temple or this valley of dry bones, as we talked about this morning. And let me ask you to consider for just a second, it's probably hard, <coughs> pardon me, it's probably hard for us to overstate the significance of Jerusalem falling to the Jews, right? You know, think about the world events today, right? How much the world focuses on the Middle East there and Israel and that kind of thing. It would be hard to overstate this significance to the people. They know how great this city is, and so they're standing there with optimism, saying it's not going to happen. I, you can preach all you want, Ezekiel, but it's not coming. It ain't happening. And sure enough, it does. And so this is going to be a big deal to them. When, it, when the temple falls, they think it is over. It's over. That's what the vision is about in chapter 37, these dry bones. Our hope is lost. But here's what Ezekiel's second task is. The first is, in a sense, you know, he's, he's trying to, to pull them back. Don't be so optimistic. But now he's telling them, look, just, just cool it, okay? You've made your bed. Now you've got to lie in it. But if you take your punishment, this captivity, the blessings are coming down the road. Again, just like we talked about this morning with hope and with optimism, thinking about what can be accomplished with God, that's kind of what he's saying here. Uh, don't be so pessimistic. You've got to take your punishment. You did it. You made your bed. You've got to lie in it. But also there are blessings that are coming if you will turn back to God. Let's talk about a few teaching methods. This is where the book gets a little difficult, uh, and I'll challenge you. You know, it, it takes a lot to read through it and understand but there are three sort of main ways that Ezekiel teaches. The first is object lessons. We don't have time to go over each one of these in great detail. But at some point through the first part of the book, at one point he has a clay brick. And on that clay brick, he draws the siege of Jerusalem. At one point in the book, he lies on one side. Uh, then after a while, he lies on his other side. He turns over. And this is for many days. At one point... He cuts his hair, and he puts some of it in the fire, 
and he throws some to the wind. And there's even a point where he it discusses, uh, he goes about where he portrays this, uh, where he portrays about Jerusalem that's going to be you know, under siege and be destructive. There's one part that even involves excrement, uh, human excrement that's involved there. I mean, it's some heavy object lessons for people to try to understand. But I'll tell you, if you go through and read it, you may not forget it, right? You remember some object lessons that you've ever heard before? I told you one, I think I used it a couple of Wednesday nights ago maybe, that I'll never forget a Bible class where uh, uh, the youth minister that I was uh, with at the time, I was interning as a youth intern and he was teaching the class and he was talking about compartmentalization, right? That we put our Christianity in one and our sports life in another and our job in another and our family in another and he brought out you know, a, a set of drawers, tester drawers, that's what he had. He brought it into the room and used it. And I'll never forget that. And it's always stuck with me. That's what compartmentalization is, a drawer for every part of our lives as opposed to making it all one with Christ or God in the center. Object lessons tend to stick with us, and Ezekiel has a bunch here in this book. He also uses visions. Now, this is some of the most difficult sections. If I'm just being honest with you, uh, this is where it gets kind of hard. Chapter 37 is one of those with the Valley of Dry Bones where he you know, talks about this and he has these different visions. And it's a lot if you just sit down and read it. But it's also a way of trying to teach the people about what was going on. The third that we might mention here is allegory. Um, he uses a lot of this. He talks about a vine. He talks about an adulterous bride, compares the children of Israel, the nation of Israel to a, an adulterous bride. He even talks about lions. And eagles representing the sins of God's people. We're familiar with it, right? Some of you have read C.S. Lewis. Think about the use of lions uh, in his writing. Well, Ezekiel does a lot of that as well. And so it can be interesting. It can also be difficult and hard to read if you were just to sit down and try to uh, digest it all without any, any help through that. Uh, just to keep moving through some of the main points here. There are some key phrases. One is the son of man. The son of man phrase is found 93 times through the book of Ezekiel. God continues to call over and over and over again. He calls Ezekiel son of man. That's a phrase you hear Jesus use and used of Jesus, son of man. I added one more to my slide that's not in the bulletin, but I think it's important uh, to the thoughts about what Ezekiel was doing and how he was working, ministering. 66 times in the book, not this exact phrase, but some form of it, through the visions, the allegories, through the object lessons, through all of these things, Ezekiel is saying, or God is saying, that they shall know that I am the Lord. I have my Bible actually open here to chapter 37 to the Valley of Dry Bones, and at the end of that section, in verse 14, God tells them that they will be reborn. That he will breathe into them the muscles and, the, and the, what they need to become a body again, not just bones. He says, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, spoken it and performed it. So constantly through all these things that sound very difficult, he's saying to the people, you shall know that God Almighty is behind these things. Whether it's the captivity, whether it's the good things, whether it's returning to the homeland, you shall know that God Almighty is in charge. Once again, it was a great connection with the lesson this morning. 
but to know through all the difficulty, through the things in this country that happen that we don't agree with, that sort of get us down about how sinful people can be, we need to be reminded that the Lord God Almighty is behind all things. The message of Ezekiel, if we were to try to sum it up here just real briefly, we might say that the message of Ezekiel is that there is sin leading to punishment, but that repentance, there is repentance as well leading to blessing. All throughout the book, Ezekiel's message is a call to repentance. Repent, change, don't be like these idolatrous ways, don't be like these people don't turn to them, repent and turn to God. And you know, the preservation of their religion, the Jews, the children of Israel, the preservation of their religion during the captivity was probably thanks to Ezekiel. In fact, you know what's really amazing? What's really amazing about this is they gave up their idol worship after this time. From Ezekiel on, from that point of captivity on, and now we're getting into a little bit of that intertestamental period, kind of the close of the Old Testament, the intertestamental period that we don't have from the end of the Old Testament to Matthew, but even into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have other problems. <laughs> don't get me wrong, right? They have issues, the Pharisees, all those things. The Jews still have problems, but idolatry pretty much leaves their midst. And that's thanks to Ezekiel and what he did in preaching to them about, hey, you've sinned, you got to take your medicine, you got to be punished, but repent. And if you repent, if you are faithful to God, there are many, many blessings. And yes, they had problems even going forward, but one of those was not idolatry. I think there's three lessons. There's only one in your outline if you have your outline in front of you, but there are three lessons I'd like to share with you here, and then this sermon will be yours. Number one, our job is not to convert everyone, but simply to proclaim the message. As we've touched on already today, that, that wave, uh, that wave of the world, that wave of Hollywood and sports and athletes, that seems to be getting taller and taller, and we just feel smaller and smaller, that we've got a, a bigger and bigger task in front of us. Our job is not to save everybody sort of immediately in the moment, but we are to proclaim the message. Let's look at a passage with each of these points. The first is Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse number 17. Ezekiel 3 and verse 17. Ezekiel gives a great point here. I almost uh, wanted to include this in our main outline. But Ezekiel is a watchman, and he gives some great encouragement to the elders of Israel. And I think it's a great encouragement for our elders. And not just ours here at Saudi, but of course all elders today. But beginning in verse 16, Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man... I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. If you look on down the, through there, through verses 18 and 19, he's saying that if you, verse 19, if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. God tells Ezekiel, if you warn them and they don't turn, then you did your part. But if you don't warn them, the wicked are going to perish, but you'll be in trouble too because you did not sound the warning. You know, we have even talked about the, the Great Commission recently in our Wednesday night class as we talked about the Church Reset book. 
the Great Commission says, it doesn't say go into all the world and convert everyone. You know, almost as if Jesus knows, certainly, that, and he says at other times, right, that the, the road is wide, many people are going to go down the road to destruction. He doesn't say, hey, go into the world and you don't sleep or eat until you convert every single soul that you talk to every single day. No, that's, that's not what we're supposed to do in that sense. We are supposed to preach and teach, right, the gospel. We are to hope, try to make disciples, baptize people for the remission of their sins, but our job is not to convert every single person, but to proclaim the message. When you, if you have time to go back and read the first couple of chapters and think about what Ezekiel was facing, how far he goes with these object lessons of lying on his side, cutting his hair, doing anything to get their attention, and yet for so long they won't listen. It's like banging your head against the wall. It's frustrating. But he had to realize, and God gives him that encouragement there, hey, you're a watchman. You have to sound the alarm. You have to let people know they are lost and they need to repent. But you cannot get discouraged every time that you don't reach everybody. You've got to keep moving and keep proclaiming the good news. Number two, kind of in connection with that, but there is personal responsibility for sin. Chapter 18, if you will. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. There is personal responsibility for sin. Chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has not done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. And we're familiar with the first part of verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. God says through Ezekiel, if you are suffering, it is because you have sinned. Now that's not everything in every way, right? Some people take every time they stub their toe, oh, I must have done something wrong, right? People talk about it in the New Testament, right? Who sinned so that this man was born with this deformity or this issue? Was it him? Was it his parents? What happened? No, not every bad thing that happens is because of sin, but it's amazing right? It's amazing how many people never darken the door of the church building, never claimed to wear the name of Christ, and then when bad things happen to them, they look up and sort of shrug their shoulders and say, why, God? Why have these things happened to me? Sometimes it's because of our own decisions. The people here are sort of saying at times, look at what those before us have done. Look at what others have done, how they have sinned. And God through Ezekiel is saying, no, it's because of your own sins that you are suffering. And sometimes we do. We need to look in the mirror and realize what we've done and not look around blaming everyone else or blaming God. The third and final lesson that you have, if you have your bulletin in front of you, talks about the twofold task of a preacher. And I would go so far as to say, if you'd like to think about this as application for you, that it is maybe a bit of the preacher's role, but it's for all of us in a sense. As we said Really, in the lesson this morning, the idea of not just giving people what they want to hear, tickling their ears. Miss Brenda and I were talking out front. We talked about how it's watered down is what happens sometimes with the gospel and the truth. Uh, we shouldn't be about that business when it comes to the people who are lost. In chapter 22 and verse number 30, chapter 22 and verse number 30, we realize that part of Ezekiel's task is to comfort the afflicted. But yet here God says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall 
and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. What troubling words for God to look around and say, and he does find Ezekiel, but to say, I can't find a single person, a single man who will stand in the gap, who will speak the truth. I can't find one who will speak for me. When we think about comforting the afflicted, folks are hurting, right? There are a lot of people who need comfort. And, and not the comfort that I can give or that you can give necessarily, but the comfort that God can give. Yes, as a preacher, I, I enjoy the times that I can try to sit down with someone and either help counsel maybe or at the very least pray for them. Remind them of the promises of God and how much they should trust in Him. The good news, the hope of heaven. I love to comfort those who are afflicted. It's a great blessing that we all should enjoy. But when we think about the task of a preacher, it's not just to comfort the afflicted, but it's also sometimes to afflict the comfortable. And as we said this morning, sometimes people get too comfortable. They get too content in the way that they're living and so, yes, it's great when the preacher makes me feel good. And he talks about God's love and God's grace. And those things are true. And we need them. But when we talk about the preacher stepping on our toes, that's what's needed as well. Help us realize that we are doing something we shouldn't be doing. We're living a way that we shouldn't be living. And we need to be afflicted sometimes when we get a little too comfortable. I heard someone share a story one time, a preacher uh, share a story from our brother Keith Mosier that worked with the Memphis School of Preaching for so long, and, and Brother Mosier was sharing this story about how he was studying with someone. He was studying with, I believe, more the woman, the wife, and the husband was sitting there kind of not really listening, maybe kind of really actually listening but not letting them know. He was kind of listening to the Bible study. And Brother Mosier tells the story that as he was talking about salvation and baptism, that the husband got mad. I mean, he just got downright angry, almost even picking up the lampstand and, and threatening to, you know, get out of my house. Don't talk about those things anymore. I want you out of my house. And Brother Moser tells the story. He just said, look, calm down. I, I just want you to think about what I'm saying. You know, I mean, open Bible. Think about what we've just talked about. Calm down. You don't have to get angry. And Brother Moser told him, I don't want you calling me at 2 o'clock in the morning to be baptized. When you really think about these things, just calm down for a second and consider it. Brother Mosier tells the story, he says, well, I was wrong. He says it was 1 o'clock in the morning when he called me and said, I want to be baptized. Because he finally calmed down, but he had also finally been afflicted. He was too comfortable in the way he had been, and someone pointing out the truth afflicted him enough that he finally said, I think I need to do something. I think I need to make a change. And sometimes that happens at 1 or 2 in the morning. Sometimes we don't like to be taken out of our comfort zone. And God says there in chapter 22, verse 30, I'm looking for just one man. And I couldn't found him. But he found Ezekiel. Ezekiel said, I'll stand in the gap. Almost like Isaiah said, Ezekiel says, here am I, send me. May we all try our best to take on the task of, yes, comforting those who are afflicted, but also afflicting those who get too comfortable. We can do so with a loving tone. We can do so in a kind way. But as we, again, discussed this morning, it's our job to take the simplicity of the gospel to people point out how they are living, sometimes as it's against the word of God, help them see their lost condition and hope that they will change their ways before it's everlasting too late. The book of Ezekiel is certainly a lot more than that. That's just a few of the main ideas from that. Uh, I do try to encourage you each time, if you have a moment or time in the next month or so, 
maybe you're already on a daily Bible reading plan. I appreciate that. Don't want to disrupt that. But if you could go and look through parts of the book of Ezekiel, especially maybe having this bit of a kickoff to help you, then I think it would be encouraging to you. As we think about the end of this lesson, including the thoughts here, we extend heaven's invitation through the song that's been selected uh, that we might encourage you to change your life, even as those children of Israel needed to change their life. Maybe you're here and you recognize through prior knowledge or even just something we've said here in the last few moments that you need to make a change. Maybe you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to him. We're thankful for the body being assembled here and the chance to encourage one another. We're thankful to pray with you and for you if that's what you need. And we'd love to do so even now as we stand together and as we sing.